Um, so I want to look at a familiar text with you uh, today in our time together. If one of you have been a Christian for any period of time, you would know. From 1 Samuel chapter 17, uh, if you go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Uh, there, there's, um, there's something in our heart that loves to see courage in the midst of cowardice, isn't there? And um, <clears throat> that's the kind of thing we find here. I, I mean, when I, was, uh, when I was younger, we used to read stories to our kids. My kids loved that story, the, the emperor's new clothes, you know, where he didn't have them. And uh, finally, one child stood up, a, a kid stood up and said, um, you know, you don't, you don't have anything on. And everybody said, yeah, I think you're right. And, you know, we read that story and we say, there it is, just, just a child does the right thing. Everybody's going downstream and somebody's cutting a path up, upstream. And there's something in our hearts that when we see that, we go like, I'd like to be that for God. Because I do believe you're a child of God. You know, Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. The songs we've sung today, they overwhelm your soul when you think of his incredible grace and mercy, his forgiveness. Isn't there something in our heart that just says, I want to be that person that stands for God, says the word when nobody else does. When you come to this text, that's what you're going to find. You're going to find a nation that has gone downstream. Everybody's doing the same thing. They're just following right after Saul. And you're going to find one young man that cuts a path upstream. It's interesting, as you come to 1 Samuel 17, what's happened before? And what, what we find is young David, <laughs> he's out taking care of sheep. And remember, Samuel comes to anoint the next king. And it's, it's going to be one of Jesse's children. I've often thought when I've read this text, he goes through all of his boys, doesn't he? And Samuel says, no, nope, not that one. Mm-mm. Nope. Uh-uh. Mm-mm. All the way through, right? And he finally says, well, like, is, is that all you got? Because, I mean, God told me to come here for one of your kids. Oh, so well, there's David, but, you know, he's out there with the sheep. I mean, wouldn't you think Jesse would have at least brought him in too, thought about that? But it's not until Samuel initiates, he said, well, there's David. So I don't know what Jesse thought of David, but apparently he didn't think he was king material. And that young boy is brought in, and God tells Samuel, that's him. It's not, a, not about how big he is and brawny he is and good looking he is. He shares my heart. He loves me. I want him to be king. Isn't that what happens? And, and God, in a way that only God can do, moves in such a way that here this young boy, David, who's also an incredible musician, incredible fighter, musician, does the whole thing. I mean, he's really quite a complete guy when you get to know him. And obviously Jesse didn't or whatever, whatever was going on there. But, but God has this way when Saul has the problems and he's got the demons coming upon him and he needs music. Somebody says, hey, I, I know a guy that plays a lot of music out there on the backside of a desert. Pretty good, pretty good with the drums. 
the harp. No, the harp. And so he brings him in. And so here you have God bringing this young man in into the presence of the king himself. And the king doesn't even know it that the young man that is helping him is God's choice instead of him. I mean, like, who else could do that but God? But it's, still, it's all still kind of covert right now, isn't it? He's been anointed. Right? He's kind of doing his playing music before the king. But it's in 1 Samuel 17 that God says, it's time to show him to the, to the nation. It's time for me to say, this is the man I want to use for my glory. Because he loves me. And he's so different than Saul. And so what we find, often when we come to 1 Samuel 17, it's been entitled, David and Goliath. But I wonder if perhaps we should call it David and Saul. And Goliath, who is clearly the enemy, is also the means through which God will show the cowardice of one leader and the courage of his leader. Do you see? So watch what happens in the text. In the first 11 verses, we find the cowardice of the current leader and all the people that follow him. Who, incidentally, was the giant in Israel? Who's the man that stood head and shoulders above everybody else? Do you remember? It was Saul. So, so think about that as we read the text. And, and once again, I often will say this. When we come to a passage like this, you've heard this when you've taught it to your children, etc., etc. Try to taste again for the first time. All right? Like that Kellogg's commercial. Listen to what it says. The Philistines gathered their forces for war at Succo and Judah and camped between Succo and Azekah and Ephesdamim. Saul and the men of Israel gathered and camped in the valley of Elah. Then they lined up in battle formation to face the Philistines. That's not at all unusual. You almost kind of view this stadium. There's this valley down below and there's two hills on each side. Matter of fact, Tim and Ruth probably remember this. Do you remember way, way, remember when we actually stood in that valley? We were over in Israel together 25 years ago? How long? 85. 86. Almost. Okay, a while ago. A while ago. And I, I still remember standing in there grabbing a couple pebbles, you know, from the, from the brook. Just, I don't know why I did it, but I did. Anyway, so, but you, you've got this valley and you've got, you've got these hills on both sides. So you've got the Israelites on one side, the Philistines on the other side. It's not unusual, but the Philistines have moved into Israel's territory. It was a statement to do that. They were really saying, your God and everybody else in there isn't all that great anyway, because we're in your territory. So there they are, lined up. Information. That's not unusual. They have this weird custom. We read them, we think it's kind of strange. But what they believed is if you would bring your leader, your key warrior down, and their key warrior down, and your warrior beat their warrior, that means your God is greater than their God. Yeah, that's just kind of kind of kind of what they believed. So, man, they picked the biggest guy they could get. And what's interesting is when you read through the Old Testament. The Old Testament often doesn't give lengthy descriptions of people. It'll say a couple things, you know, maybe a verse. This is the longest description of a warrior in the entire Old Testament. Now, that's really significant. Because 
The, the, the inspired storyteller, when he begins describing Goliath, he doesn't want you to just quickly go, yeah, there's this big guy called Goliath and move on. He wants you to stop and go, like, whoa. Like, he's big. He's mean. He's str- I mean, that's, that's what they want you to think. So listen to how he's described. The Philistines were standing on one hill and the Israelites were standing on another hill with a ravine between them. Then a champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistine camp. He was nine feet, nine inches tall. Anybody would love to have that guy on his basketball team. Wouldn't you? He would almost hit his head, hit his head on the rim. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine, when he reaches up like this, he could take a dime off the top of the backboard. And he hasn't even jumped yet. I tell you what, he'd make any NBA team, wouldn't he? Anyway, so he is one big guy. He's nine feet, nine inches tall. He wore a bronze helmet and bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. That's a lot. Did you ever wear vest weights or those kinds of things when you're exercising when you're younger? There was a time, you might not believe it now looking at me, that I actually did some athletic things. But, but we had, sometimes would wear that stuff. You know, it was really heavy. But I never wore 125 pounds worth of stuff. This guy, when he puts his stuff on, 125 pounds, no big deal. Carries it around like it's nothing. Almost 10 feet tall, 125 pounds. But the writer says, look, let me keep talking. There was bronze armor on his shins and a bronze sword was slung between his shoulders. I mean... He had it all. His spear shaft was like a weaver's beam. And the iron point of his spear weighed 15 pounds. That's the weight of a shot put, isn't it, roughly? I mean, he, you, you just think as big as you can think. And that's about right. His weaver's beam in his hand. And you can imagine when he whipped that thing, it would have an impact when it hit. So he was unbelievable. In addition... A shield bearer was walking in front of him. And I don't know, what would he carry around for him? Like a picnic table? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I mean it's got to be something big for this guy. I mean, he's huge. I don't know how he's manipulating all this, but he's doing it in some way. Okay. But the inspired storyteller wants you to look at him and go, man, there's no way. And so... Without ever minimizing how, how big and how difficult opposition can be. Because that's what he does. He wants you to get done reading that saying, you know, opposition can be really, really daunting sometimes. Yep, that's exactly right. It's just that there's something bigger, isn't there? That's the point. He stood and he shouted to the Israelite, to the Israelite battle formations. Why do you come out to line up in battle formation? He asked them. Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose one of your men and have him come down against me. If he wins in a fight against me and kills me, we will be your servants. Because it will show that our God is greater than your God. That's, 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 that's the subtext. But if, but, if, but if I win against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. Then the Philistine said, here it is, folks. I defy the ranks of Israel today. But who was he really defying? You, you better believe it. He was defying God. 
I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so that we can fight against, fight against each other. When Saul and all Israel heard this, there was thousands that wanted to go out and fight the Philistine. Does anybody's text say that? <laughs> no, what does it say? When Saul and all Israel heard these words for the Philistine, they lost their courage and were terrified. And we know later as you read the, the text that this went on for how long? 40 days. Can you imagine every day you put on your armor? What are you doing? I don't know. I guess we're lining up again. They lined up there. Trudged down in the middle was, was Goliath. Hey, come on, I defy you guys. Yeah, I'm not going. <laughs> I mean, everybody steps back a little bit, but looks around, terrified, afraid. Goliath eventually goes back. And they do this day after day after day. You, what, what kind of impact do you think that had on the army? Absolutely. And what does it do to the Philistines but continues to empower them? The Israelites and the God they know, nothing. Do you see? And if the story ended there, this would be a tragedy. But God is up to something, isn't he? And God shows us in those first 11 verses that opposition has this way of, of, of just kind of revealing to us the cowardice of the current leader and all the people underneath him. Nobody does a thing. Enter David in verse 12. Notice what the text says. Now, David was the son of the Ephrathite from Bethlehem of Judah named Jesse. Jesse had eight sons and during Saul's reign was was already an old man. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war, and their names were Eliab, the firstborn, Abinadab, and the next, Shammah, the third. And David was the youngest. Well, we already knew that from a previous chapter. The three oldest had followed Saul, but David kept going back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock in Bethlehem. So yeah, there was times when David was with Saul, playing his music, going back, armor bearer, whatever the case may be. But for this encounter... David was with the sheep. That's it. That's where Jesse wanted him. And one day, Jesse comes up to David and says, David, I want you to go and be a grocery boy for me. And I want you to take some food, and I'm going to take, I want you to take it to your brothers who are fighting for Saul. Jesse didn't know exactly what was happening. knew they were fighting against the Philistines. Didn't know all the things. And David didn't either. David was just, I mean, David, did David get up that morning? He was going to take that food and say, Lord, today is the day that I am revealed as the true future leader of Israel. Do you think that's what he did? No, no. David got up that day and David was just David. That's it. And David got up to do what his father asked him. And all you find out, he didn't get himself psyched up for this. David was just David. And notice what happens when he comes. Here's one of the things that's really interesting to me about 1 Samuel 17. I think I must have picked this up when I was growing up and I used to hear this story. Because when I heard this story as a young child, um, I kind of, if you would have told me like, most of the verses in 1 Samuel 17 deal with what event? I would have told you as a child, oh, the battle scene between 
Goliath and David. I bet that thing goes on for 10, 15, 20 verses. Who knows, right? The actual battle scene is only about five verses between them. But how many verses are in chapter 17? Like 58 verses. So what's going on in the chapter? It's real important, folks. It's real important. Because what the inspired storyteller does, the way he reveals David to us, even before the battle scene, when he shows his courage, what he does is um, he uses discussion, dialogue, between David and the people, the other soldiers, between David and his brother, between David and some of the soldiers again, between David and Saul, and eventually between David and Goliath. He uses discussion, talk, to tell you about David. And so, although it goes on for quite a bit, you start reading this, and more and more you begin to say, oh, I see what it means for somebody to have a heart for God. I, it, it, it's getting clearer to me as I read the story. So here's David. He's a grocery boy. He's bringing up the stuff. So, uh, verses 16 down to 19, um, yeah, that, that's basically what it says. So verse 20, so David got up early in the morning, left the flock with someone to keep it, loaded up and set out as Jesse had instructed him. He's just a grocery boy. He's, turned, he's given food to his brothers, for goodness sakes. He arrived at the perimeter of the camp as the army was marching out to its battle formation, shouting their battle cry. Israel and the Philistines lined up in battle formation facing each other. It's been 40 days, Okay. David doesn't know it, though. David hears all the commotion. So he's like, what's, what's going on? So David left his supplies in the care of the quartermaster and ran to the battle line. When he arrived, he asked his brothers how they were doing. So they're getting up there. Things are happening. He says, how are you guys doing? Oh, good. What's happening with the sheep? Oh, not a whole lot. You know, uh, one sheep had, a, had another lamb. and I don't know, whatever they talked about. They're kind of just talking back whatever they're doing. While he was speaking with them, so they're just small talking back and forth, suddenly the champion named Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, came forward from the Philistine battle line and shouted his usual words, which they heard for 40 days, which David heard for the first time. When all the Israelite men saw Goliath, they retreated from him and were terrified. So, so David's talking with his brothers. Goliath trudges down, says his usual words, and everybody backs up whatever they do. And guess who's standing here? David thinks this is really quite interesting. He's not, he's not following this at all. So, so look at what he says. An Israelite man had declared previously, do you see this man who keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will make the man who kills him very rich and will give him his daughter. The king will also make the household of that man's father exempt from paying any taxes in Israel. David spoke to the men who were standing with him. What will be done for the man who kills that Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine? that he should defy the armies of the living God. The people told him about the offer, concluding that is what will be done for the man who kills him. So David's standing out there, and some guy who's retreating apparently is looking at this whole thing and saying, 
Well, you know what the king promised? I mean, the king got panicked through this whole thing and at some point said, look, you can have my daughter for, your, for marriage, um, no more taxes, uh, whatever. Will somebody please fight this guy? Right? That's what's happening. And so they're panic-stricken. They're thinking, he's only a kid. How old is he? 13, 15, 17 years, probably 15 to 17 years of age. He's young. But they're panic-stricken. They said, hey, here's the deal the king gave us. And they tell him. David said, are you kidding me? And in David's mind, this is something that you shouldn't have to get anything from the king for. Because that big mouth standing out there that might be almost 10 feet tall is defying the armies, the living God. So David just says, Tell me again what will happen here. It, it's almost like, okay, like it's a disconnect for David because it shouldn't be needed that that would be offered to anybody. Somebody should have just done it. Stepped out and did it. So, David's older brother is feeling a little bit uncomfortable with this whole thing. You know why? Because he's terrified like everybody else. So notice what happens. David's older brother, Eliab, listened as he spoke to the men and became angry with him. Why do you come down here, he asked. Who did you leave those few sheep with in the wilderness? I know your arrogance and your, and your evil heart. You came down here to see the battle. What's interesting, when God looked at the heart of David, he thought it was a heart after his own, right? But, but I think Eliab is the older brother who has just been faced by his younger brother. Don't you? And David's not trying to do anything to Eliab here. David is David. That's it. But, but Eliab back there, who sh he's showering like this thing, like, oh my goodness, my little brother is like in the spotlight, and he's, and it's, it's shining on me. So he just says, you're, you're, you're just arrogant. And David turns around and says, I'm just asking a question. And then some more of the people say, yeah, yeah, that's what's going to happen to you if you do this. Well, about that time, somebody figures, look, he may just be a young kid. Maybe he's just a shepherd, but he's got courage that we don't have. Let's let him go talk to Saul. <laughs> so they usher him in before Saul, don't they? And Saul, somebody, they say, hey, we got somebody finally. Saul says, it's about time, man. I don't know what else I could offer. I mean, like, I'm offering everything here. You know? Okay, okay, bring him in, bring him in. Oh, hello. You know what? You, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how that whole conversation. Well, we know part of the conversation, but not the whole thing. So notice what happens here. Verse 31. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul. So he had David brought to him. David said to Saul, he's brought in. Saul sees him and Saul must be thinking, I don't know about this whole thing. Don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Your servant will go and fight the Philistine. Isn't that unbelievable? They bring him in and Saul's looking at him and says, it's okay. I got it covered. Saul replied, you can't go fight this Philistine. You're just a youth. He's been a warrior since he was young. He's done it for years. David said, let me tell you something. He is attacking God. 
And Saul, Saul saw how big Goliath was, didn't he? But David saw who, how, who, how big who was? God. Nine feet from the moon is not very big, is it? You know what I mean? Take a, take a picture of the earth. You don't even see Goliath. For many people, people are big and God is small. But for David, God is big and people are small. We struggle with that, don't we? For some of us, people are so big and we just, we fear and panic. And, all. and for others, God is so big and incredibly majestic and powerful and wonderful. He's loved us, all this. And, and that was David with God. Yeah, he was only a shepherd. Did he have warrior experience? No, not really. He really wasn't much. But God was so big and he knew that what this guy was doing was absolutely against God. And that's all that mattered. So Saul said, here, put on my, put on my stuff. And David said, I, I can't wear that. I just, that's gonna, uh, he said, I, 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 I can't wear your armor. That's not going to work. No, notice what David says to him. David says, God has rescued me in the past. He will do it again. Let me go and you just watch God work. And Saul in his, I don't know, Saul, which he just, in his reservation, he doesn't know what else to do. Verse 37, Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. He doesn't know what else to say. At least we have somebody that has some confidence here. That's it. Verse 38, he, that's where he tries to put all his stuff on him. And David said, I'm not used to those things. So David took them off. He just took his staff in his hand, chose five small stones from the, the, the brook and put them in a pouch in his shepherd's bag. People say, why five? Is it because Goliath had brothers? No, I don't know. I just think it's probably because David was smart. If he missed with the first one, he had four more shots. I don't know. I mean, that's, wouldn't you do that? I think the guy's just prepared. I think it's a good move. I don't think the brother thing comes in here at all. Then David, with his sling in his hand, Approach the Philistine. How would you feel as Goliath? Forty days. You trudge down. Every morning you get up. You have your oatmeal in the morning. Whatever you ate. Trudges down there to that valley. I defy you, Israel, and your God. Goes back. This time he comes down, back, and does it. And he's waiting there, and he sees somebody coming. And the closer he gets, he says, it's a punk kid. I waited 40 days for this? Like, what is that? And that's exactly what happens. Notice their conversation. It's not terribly pleasant. Then the Philistine came closer and closer to David, verse 41, with the shield bearer in front of him. The guy's manipulating the picnic table, whatever, you know. When, when the Philistine looked and saw David, <clears throat> he despised him because he was just a youth, healthy and handsome. He said to David, am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? Then he cursed David by his gods. <clears throat> Come here, the Philistine called to David. 
and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts. I've often thought about this, this imagery and, and, and used it before, but, you know, <clears throat> if I would have walked in here today, one of the children that went out for, um, they, they go out through up to what, third grade, Tim? They, up to third grade, yeah. So suppose right before one of the young boys goes out, first grader, he comes walking up here to the platform, looks up at me and says, Finkbeiner, I'm taking you out today. Yeah, that's exactly what I would do. Uh, you, now you, you go, go on to junior church, have a good time, you know. I need to talk to his parents, you know, or whatever, you know. But, but, you know, wouldn't you laugh? It's not much different. Forty days. And the first grader shows up in his mind, in his mind, you know. You're going down. Forty years. David says to the Philistine, listen to David's heart as he speaks. And David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a dagger, spear, and sword, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel's armies, the ones that you have defied. Today, the Lord will hand you over to me. Today, I'll strike you down, cut off your head, give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know that Israel has a God. And this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves. The battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to me. Don't you find his heart there? And he comes and he says, this is all about God. I love him. And it's all about a God who can do anything. And that's why he's going to do it through me. Because it's all about him at the end of the day anyway. And you're going down, pal. Today. Wow, the Philistine. Verse 48. When the Philistine started forward to attack him, because man, he's ticked. David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. He puts his hand in the bag took out a stone, slung it, hit the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead. He fell on his face to the ground. And it's over. It took us almost 50 verses to get to that. And so we're finally set up. I mean, look, if Hollywood is scripting this, they're, they're going to take this one and really extend it. But you know what? The battle's nothing. That's the whole point, folks. God says, this is my battle, and we'll just do it really quickly. Stone, head, done, finished. That's it. That's what happens. It's a storyteller. Everything else leading up to that is showing you the cowardice of one group and the courage of another man. And, it, and it's not like the courage is because he believes in himself. It has nothing to do with believing in yourself. It has everything to do with believing in God. God is huge and God can do anything. And so courage acts on God's behalf and leaves the results with God. So he does. And you know what happens? David ends up taking off his head. The Philistines are panic stricken. The, all of a sudden the Israelites are encouraged. They storm the Philistines. The Philistines go back to their territory. It's a great victory. And after this, you remember what happens? This courage, which is so unusual, which just acts because 
It's not about me. It's about God and what he can do through me. Do you see? And so David just acts, leaving the results with God, and God brings a great victory as he sees fit. It takes everybody back. You read the end of the chapter and beginning of chapter 18. Everybody is amazed by David. So Saul says, like, who's this guy's dad again? Because I'm going to have to take care of this tax thing with him. And you know something else? I want him in my army. I don't care what kind of a, how good he is at fighting. We can teach him that. We need that kind of courage. That guy is with us now. And you remember what Jonathan does? Saul's son. The heir to the throne gives David his sword and some of his armor. You know what that was saying? He was saying, David, I will follow you as the next heir of this kingdom. It's unbelievable. And I wonder, and I don't know this, but I wonder if Jonathan saw in David the courage he always wanted to see in his own dad. That's my guess. And when, when he sees it, this, and you know, we know from the, the storyline, Jonathan is at least 20 years older than David. So it's not like, you know, it's not like there's two teens working things out together. Here's a man probably 20 years older. When he sees him, he says, you know what? You may be a young boy, but I will serve under you. That's unbelievable. So everybody around David is going like, wow. David got up that day as a shepherd and a grocery boy. He ended the day as a great warrior and the king elect. Why? Because he was like hyping himself up, psyching himself out? Nope. What was David's secret? How did David prepare himself for this big one, if you will? We have a little inkling of it when you go back in the text. And it's one that I passed over rather quickly. Remember when he's there with Saul? And somebody in there in verse 34 to 37. And somebody has said this, and, and you giant fans will love this, but I've heard, heard this years ago. I thought it was pretty clever. Here's the bottom line. How did David get ready to fight the giant? Somebody said that David is kind of like an NFL football team. Because he's already beaten the lions and the bears, he was now ready for the giants. Or whatever, whatever you want to do with that. I'm just telling you, somebody has said that. But, 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 but isn't that what happened? On the backside of a desert, when nobody was watching and nobody saw anything, David was loving his God. And when there was a problem with a lion or there was a problem with a bear, David said, God, help me. You want me to do this? I, help me. And David developed a track record in which he trusted the God he loved and stood up for God. No, did anybody see that? Apparently nobody did. I mean, we don't find out about it till now. I mean, I don't know that he even came home that night. Hey, Dad, Dad, you should see what I did with this lion today. I mean, I don't know if he did or not. The text just doesn't tell us. And the way Jesse treats him, I'm wondering that maybe not. But David, when he's between, before Saul and he's trying to convince him, he's saying, look, God can do this. This is what he did through me in the past when nobody saw. And you know what I find from that, folks? How do you get ready for the big one? Not even know what the big one means exactly. 
This was a big one for David. You know what you do? By his grace, as his child, you go deeper into your love relationship with him so that God is big and people are small. And when he calls you to do whatever he calls you to do in your situation, whether it's kill a lion or kill a bear, whatever that looks like, you just do it because God is big. God has loved us. Christ has come. He's coming back. It's all that. God is big. And people are small. David lived that way in the little skirmishes of life, didn't he? And so when God needs a leader king, he picks a young man that nobody thinks a whole lot about. And that young man nearly does then what he's been doing. And everybody's amazed. But it's really not about David. It's about an incredible God that works through David. Here and here and here and here. We have some teenagers with us today. Younger children too. Do you know you have skirmishes, don't you, young people? In school. You have times... When people are talking a way that they shouldn't talk and it's, it's, it's inappropriate and you know in your heart God wants me to say something but you're afraid. And what this text is telling us in those little skirmishes, what you need to do is you, you, you need to step up and say, not, not in a cocky way or anything like that. You just need to stand for God. Say a word for God. Stand up, young people. It's a skirmish. You're a college student, young career single at work wherever you find yourself you know the pressure times don't you you know the times when you're saying i know god wants me to speak a word for him right now but i because people are big and god is small and in that moment say god through your spirit please empower me to believe what is true which is you are big and people are small and you speak a work for god you speak you speak to the darkness like Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 5, let your light so shine before men. And that's not speaking to people who are like, hey, we're really into God. It's speaking to people who are against God. That they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's David. You're a parent in the home. And maybe you feel pressured by a teenager to do something. And you say, we, we can't do that. It's not right before God but you feel such pressure. When God is big and people are small, you do the right thing. You do the right thing. When you go to work, you do the right thing. When you come to church, you do the right thing. Not by your own strength and for your own glory. For his glory, by his strength, through his spirit. Yes, always. Because God is big. And people are small. You love people, but they can't compare to God. Do you see? In this text... Causes us, calls us to see how big our God is and to love him. To trust him in the little skirmishes of life. And then he can use us however he chooses for whatever comes. That's what David tells us, folks. It encourages us, doesn't it? It's also a little intimidating. But by his spirit, 
and his grace, it can be true of everybody in here who's a true child of God. You've experienced that forgiveness from Christ. You have God in your soul to empower you to become what he's called you to be. Let's pray.